Okay, guys, we're uh, back at it here. And we'll move into uh, some practical examples of uh, how to keep safe um, whenever you're uh, at the beach in the various uh, activities that uh, people get up to. Okay, so uh, Fiona, are we all okay there? Uh, am I got the green light to go ahead? All back on stage there now, you're screen sharing. Brilliant. Okay, so we talked a little about uh, the risk decision process and we'll look a little bit further in that now and at the risks that you will come across whenever you go down to the water. Remembering, as I said, the whole thing about water is different to land. On land, if you're tired, not feeling well or whatever, you can sit down, take a rest. In the water, you can't do that, okay? You need to be treading water all the time to stay alive. De facto, you need all your faculties working. You need to have an ability to endure however long you're at in the water for until you've managed to get yourself back to the shore. So let's look at the things that we can do to minimize the risk to ourselves. So number one is know the risks. And we'll start with the top line there, environmental, wind, swell, rips, currents, tides, and weather. Okay, these are all things that we find overwhelm people. Okay, that people succumb in the water generally because they either underestimate the conditions or they overestimate their ability. Now, how can we reduce the risks of wind, swell, rips, currents, tides, weather, all those sort of things? Well, our biggest armor in that is to look at a forecast. Okay, so when we go on to Met Aaron, for example, we can look at what the, the wind, the weather is doing for the particular day and build that into our equation. Now, if we're under any of the weather warnings that we use on, in Ireland, uh, yellow, orange, or red, we generally say, unless you're really experienced and know what you're doing, to stay away from the coast, okay? Um, whenever you see pictures of people engaged in uh, activities at the coast that are happening under high wind or waves, they haven't got there but overnight, okay? That's a very long process that they've accumulated all the knowledge, skills, and fitness to be able to do what they're doing. The, the time for you to start engaging those activities isn't on day one. That's like a very long-term process. So number one, we'd want you to be checking the forecast and making an assessment as to whether it's within your ability, your physical ability to survive on that day talked about the physical side of it there, your fitness, your health, your under, any underlying medical conditions. Now, the way that you can, uh, if you're medically vulnerable in that way, is that you would get screened by your GP to say, well, you're okay, well, you know, we, we think it's okay that you can go swimming at a beach or swimming in cold water. Um, you take advice from a medical professional on that. At a lower level, if you go to the beach and you're not really feeling well, like you got a bit of a head cold, you got a bit of a flu or whatever, it's great to get sometimes get outside and get a, a bit of fresh air for a while. But that isn't the time for you to then enter the water and start engaging in a possibly really physical towering activity. Okay. Um, 
ability, just be aware of, of what you can physically do because you may be a really good pool swimmer, but swimming in the sea is totally different. It's a bit like 2D versus 3D. Okay, so in in the pool, we've got the length of the pool and we've got the depth of the water. Uh, when you're in the sea, you're adding in tides, currents, rips, surf, wind. Okay, there's a lot more external factors and pressures on your body. So just be aware of your ability. In general, especially amongst young males, what we see is an overestimation of your ability. And that just may become from bravado or ignorance. Uh, either way, it's err on the side of caution. Uh, a good example that I use is that uh, ships and aircraft uh, all around the world uh, in a commercial setting have to carry a, a minimum amount of fuel on board. Okay, And the reason is that if they get into an emergency where they have to divert to another airport or another port, that they have enough fuel on board to be able to do that, to be able to withstand an emergency situation. Okay, so you never run the tank down to empty. Equally with yourself, you need to be thinking, have I got enough energy to not just, you know, do this swim from A to B, from one end of the pier to the other. I need to have enough energy that if I get halfway through that swim and I'm a little bit tired, I've got to sustain myself until help arrives. Okay, or if let's say I'm swimming from one end of the pier to the other and the current takes me off track, and I then I'm struggling against the current and maybe have to swim somewhere else to get in from shore that's a wee bit further away. Um, I need to have enough energy on board to do that. Let's look at the mental side of things, poor judgment. So overconfidence, that again comes into what I say about overestimating your ability and underestimating the effect of the conditions. Peer pressure, please guys, do not encourage someone to jump off a rock or to swim further than they may be comfortable with. Whenever you're swimming as a group, you always act towards the lowest greatest swimmer in your group. So someone says, I, look, I'm only really comfortable to go in for a two minute swim or swim 50 meters. You guys don't go, oh, come on. You know, we all we all wanna swim further or we wanna swim for longer. You, Your baseline is that lower level swimmer. You're there then to take care of them and take account of how much they want to swim. You certainly don't encourage people to go beyond their boundaries because we deal with the effects, unfortunately, of whenever people do do that. It's important to remember the sea, rivers or lakes, they're not swimming pools. They have all those external factors that I mentioned earlier. So equally, you just don't go, we're gonna go swimming uh, down by the lake, down by the river at two o'clock no matter what the conditions. When you get there at two o'clock, you may decide, go, you know what, there's an awful lot of wind today, or there's a bit more surf than what we thought there would be. Let's just play on the beach and, you know, not go in the water today. That's the right decision to make. Remember as well that forecasts, they're only forecasts. They're computer generated. The most important thing is what we call a nowcast. So whenever you arrive at the place you're going to go swimming, paddleboard or canoeing, you look at it with your own eyes and you go, maybe it's too much today. I know there was good weather forecast, but suddenly like the wind has come up. That's what happens at the coast as anyone who knows uh, who lives by it. Uh, you may get down to the lake 
and there's a maybe there's a bit more water than there normally is so one part of the lake is a bit deeper than what you're used to you know you got to look at it with fresh eyes each time we just move on here uh, swimming is certainly the most popular uh, activity that is happening around the coast at the minute which is brilliant as Killian said it's a great uh, sport to to get into um but it is also where we're seeing the majority of our call outs also you can minimize the risks of swimming by wearing the right kind of kit okay a wetsuit will give you increased warmth and buoyancy and that means that you can maybe swim for longer more comfortably we're not saying don't ever go swimming uh, we're just giving you tips to help make that activity a bit more enjoyable um, and it's safer at the same time. Okay, wear a brightly colored swimming hat, orange or pink or best. Um, that's our advice from whether we're trying to spot people in the water or the Coast Guard, uh, our colleagues in the air, whenever they're trying to see someone who may be in trouble. And take a tow float. That allows you to uh, hang on to if you do get tired. But all of these things also increase your visibility to other users of the water. So that might be boaters, windsurfers, um, because there has been, unfortunately, cases where people have collided with swimmers in the water. It's actually quite hard to see somebody in the water. Um, even though we're trained in search and rescue, uh, we generally don't find the person until we're really, really close to them. Okay, and you got to remember, if a boat is traveling at speed, they're covering distance really quickly. So um, although they might not see you until you're a few meters away, by that stage, it's too late. So the more brightly colored stuff you can wear, the more chance of somebody seeing you and not colliding with you. And also, if they have to rescue you, you can, we can spot you a lot easier. Have a means of calling for help with you, such as a mobile phone and a waterproof pouch and a whistle to attract attention. Okay, I'll talk a little bit about the mobile phones because that's the most popular means of communication these days. Um, thing to remember about them is that in a waterproof pouch, they are quite difficult to operate. Okay, so if you are behind a touch screen, you need to have practiced how to use the mobile phone in that waterproof pouch. Now, there is shortcuts on Android phones uh, and Apple phones. On the Androids, it's pressing the power button five times quickly. Um, and on the, uh, on the Apple phones, it just depends on what certain model you have. You have to look at uh, the, the software grade that you have. Okay. Now, that's great because that means that you can do that, you know, even whenever uh, the phone's difficult to access. And it's worth just from a personal safety point of view, when you're out on the night out, let's say, and maybe you don't feel comfortable in a certain area or whatever, you, if you're familiar with the, how to dial 999 uh, quickly using those methods, that could maybe save your life in uh, on land. Um, just a quick point on swimming gear. Whenever you are using those tow floats, we have had quite a lot of false calls with good intent as we say where these floats have washed up and there hasn't been any phone number on them so we have to assume that somebody is lost at sea until we can establish otherwise so it's a good idea to put your phone number on them and uh, ice number which is in case of emergency okay so if we can't get a hold of you we can get a hold of your emergency contact and try and ascertain is this a, a real distress situation or not 
Equally, if you go to the beach and you go for a swim, make sure to take all your gear with you uh, whenever you leave, because whenever we come across a gear that has been left abandoned at the beach, we have to assume that people have gone swimming and haven't returned for whatever reason. And uh, we have to launch all the lifeboats and helicopters. That's the right thing to do until we establish otherwise. And we won't we won't do that, stop doing that. But if you can prevent us from launching unnecessarily, you may help save somebody's life who does need those emergency resources. They are finite around the island, okay? There may be someone with a legitimate, legitimate emergency who needs that lifeboat or needs who, that helicopter. So anything you can do to help us in that regard is always appreciated. Prepare before you go swimming, okay? We'd always, the, the easiest thing to do is choose a lifeguarded beach, okay? So uh, Killian talked about it there earlier there. In July and August, when most people visit the beach, there are around the the, count, uh, the counties and inland lifeguarded swimming areas, okay? That's the easy way to keep yourself safe. If there isn't one uh, available at the spot that you're going to go to, make sure you know any hazards that are at the beach. And the way you could establish that, there may be signage from the council telling you where any rips are or any deep water spots. Go with a buddy and have a plan of where to enter and exit the water with alternative exit points identified. So I talked about maybe an example there that you're maybe gonna swim along the shore. Um, that's always good. Swim within your depth, swim along the shore so that you can get out where uh, if needs be. But if you're swimming along a part of the shore that has rocks, let's say, that you can't get out halfway along if you get tired, that's not a very good plan. OK, you want to be swimming somewhere where you can like, you know, if you get halfway overcome for whatever reason, you can take a break or get exit the water. Check your spot, know how to spot rip currents. Um, this is, all beaches have rips, okay? Um, and generally the larger the surf, the larger the rip. Um, the rips may be so small that they'll not even cause you any trouble, okay? But the way that you can identify it is, there's a saying, uh, green is, uh, green is, is mean and white is right. So if you look at this picture, you'll see in the middle of it, the green water, uh, there's no waves breaking. Now, you may think to yourself, well, geez, that must be the safest water because there's no waves breaking there. But the reason that there's no waves breaking there is because the rip is so strong that it's running out to sea and stopping the waves breaking. So actually the safe water is where the waves are breaking because if you're there, the waves are going to constantly push you back to shore. So it's just a little counterintuitive uh, thinking there. Again, there may be signage on the beach, uh, as we have in Bundoran here, telling you where those rips are. Now, that can be a rip that's always naturally present 365 days of the year, um, which is what we have in Bundoran here, and that would be due to geo geographical features such as a river, which we have running out to sea. Um, but remember, rips are also dynamic. They can move up and down the beach all the time. They're ever changing. Again, the best defense is being at a lifeguarded beach because they will move the flags 
if they think that suddenly the area has become dangerous or they might even red flag the beach completely just going, okay, today is not the day to go swimming. Um, so very aware that the areas where the rips can change, um, but what we're gonna tell, teach you in the next slides is what to do if you do get caught out in a rip. The principal action there is that you're gonna swim parallel to the shore, uh, that'll break you free of the rip, or you may just go with the rip because eventually they dissipate out to sea um, just behind where the waves are breaking generally. Okay, when you reach that point, then you can move into what we call the float to live position, uh, raise your hand, uh, call for help. Um, if when uh, you swim in parallel and you get yourself free of the rip and, and you feel able, you can then swim back to shore or the waves will push you in, or again, you'd move to that float to live position, raise your hand and call for help, but we'll call cover that later. Um, Always check the weather forecast, tides and sea conditions before you set off. You know, again, obviously, if there's a really strong onshore wind or there's large waves forecast or we're under weather warnings, those are all kind of red flags to not go to the beach and make some plans to do something alternative for the day. This is just another aerial overview. You can see there's the, the area of green water. As I said, green is mean, white is right. Uh, the rip is so strong at stopping the waves from breaking. So that's where you would end up if you get caught out in the rip. But if you swim parallel to the shore, that'll break you free of its grasp, or you can just go with the rip. Don't try and fight it. Don't try and swim back to shore against the rip because you'll never beat it, however strong a swimmer you think that you are. So the rip running again, running out to sea here, that's... The person has uh, got out the back behind the waves and they've uh, put their hand up signaling for help. They haven't struggled and tried to swim against the rip because that's when people get tired and that's when they drown or they swim parallel to shore. Now, tidal cutoff. It's really important to know the, the, the tides. We get a lot of call outs in the Dublin area. Um, particularly for the Dunleary station where people go for a nice walk on the beach at low tide. So this top slide here shows people have, uh, walking out to this lovely island at low tide. And then six hours later, uh, high tide comes in and suddenly they can't walk back across that causeway. So you want to know uh, the tide times for the day if you're going for a walk along the beach. Uh, on our beaches in Donegal, you can park on some of them. Um, and quite frequently what we get is people park on the beach uh, go off for a walk and um, decide to walk a little bit further um, than they planned, come back and the, the car is swimming around at high tide, very expensive day out at the beach. For the sake of uh, a few minutes, if they'd gone on a website and uh, checked the tide times, they could have saved themselves an awful lot of trouble. Okay, We don't mind being called out for people getting cut off by the tides. That happens. But again, you can appreciate that whenever we have to use helicopters or lifeboats to rescue you in that scenario, when for the sake of a few minutes, you could have prevented that accident happening, uh, we're using up vital resources that may be needed elsewhere for uh, uh, an accident that couldn't be prevented. We'll talk uh, very quickly about the effects of cold water shock because that is primarily, again, 
one of the main problems in Ireland, the reason why people get into trouble. Our waters in Ireland are 15 degrees uh, or less most of the year, okay? And that's the definition of cold water, 15 degrees or less. The Atlantic around this time of year is eight or nine degrees. The Irish Sea is about six or seven, typically. And inland on the lakes, you know, colder again, tends to be around five degrees. It all depends on the uh, how the, the preceding weather and lakes lose their water temperature a lot quicker than the sea and equally heat up faster in the summer. But in other words, doesn't matter what time of year you fall into Irish waters, you will have cold, what we have termed cold water shock, okay? Some people have it to a greater degree than others. For some, it can be life-threatening. For others, it just can be a mild, sudden intake of breath, okay? But we'll teach you how to uh, minimize the effects of it and survive it. Uh, the best example of it is whenever you go for your shower in the morning and you turn it on, you're expecting lovely warm water and you get a dose of cold water, okay? Immediately, the first thing that you'll do is go, <gasps> you have that big gasp reflex, a big sudden intake of breath, okay? It's important to realize that isn't breathing. So that's immediately an interruption to your breathing. Breathing is breathing in and breathing out. You taking a sudden sharp breath in, <gasps> suddenly disrupts your normal breathing cycle, which if you're standing in the shower in the bathroom is uncomfortable. If you that happens when you're in the water or in the rivers or the lakes, that then becomes life-threatening because it leads to a rise in your heart rate, a rise in your blood pressure, and can lead in an inability to swim. And that uh, leads to a cessation of life. So know the risks. Cold water shock happens if you fall into the water and you're gonna say to me, well, I don't plan on falling into the water. Well, around half the people who drown, slip, trip or fall into the water don't expect to get wet. Uh, as Killian said earlier, no one gets up in the morning and says, I'm gonna call the lifeboat the day. Uh, we have a vast range of casualties that we come across in our own lifeboat station in Bundorn. I would say that the one thing that's common to them all is that no one expected to have an accident that day. So you can't say that this is never gonna happen to me because for at least half the people uh, who have accidents around the coasts, rivers and lakes in Ireland, they all said the same thing. The effects of cold water shock, very quickly here, gasping, hyperventilating, difficulty holding your breath, a feeling of suffocation, and this can overwhelm you quite quickly. Heart and blood pressure, blood vessels constrict, increase in heart rate and blood pressure, tachycardia for the medical uh, students in the room, mental and physical effects, disorientation, panic. That's the big one. That's what leaves people uh, in trouble at sea in the rivers and lakes. That's what leads to drowning is panic. An inability to think clearly, evaluate your problems, carry out a plan of action, helplessness, lethargy, and a freezing of action. So like you become uncoordinated. If you're uncoordinated, you can't swim. Medium term, again, we talk about that incapacitation, rapid cooling, swim failure. Core temperature, you initially get the cold water shock, can lead to swim failure. Then you've got um, immersion, hypothermia, or post-immersion collapse. Now, that was cold water shock. 
We're going to talk very quickly about hypothermia because that's a totally different thing. Okay, cold water shock happens very rapidly. Hypothermia is a much longer affair. Generally, it does vary person to person, but generally takes around 30 minutes before you become hypothermic. So a good rule of thumb there is when somebody says that they're hypothermic, that means that they're actually just pretty cold, okay? Uh, because if you're actually hypothermic, you won't be able to speak, you won't be able to coordinate. The important thing to remember about hypothermia is it is a medical condition and that person does need medical help to recover from it, okay? So if you suspect that someone's hypothermic, you need to be calling 999 straight away. Um, hypothermia can set in after someone's come off the water. Uh, a good example to try and get it in your head, the difference is a lot of people in Ireland uh, that suffer from hypothermia are hill walkers, mountain walkers, okay, where they've been exposed to wind and rain for a very longer time than, let's say, just going in and out of the water quickly. Okay, so how will you survive that cold water shock? The way that we say to do it is float to live. And it's really simple, okay? You just tilt your head back with your ears submerged, get your arms out to your side, relax, get your breathing under control, you can lightly move your arms to help you stay afloat. Don't worry too much about your legs. Spread out into the star position. Some people's legs go up, some people stay down. Doesn't really matter. Just keep that head back, ears submerged, okay? Arms outstretched, and uh, that'll help you float. That'll help you stay alive until you get your breathing back under control from the effects of cold water shock. At which point you can like maybe raise your hand to wave for help or shout for help and then you'll stay in that float to live position until help arrives because that is a really good energy conserving position okay you may find at some point you're like okay i've got it under control now i'm a little bit calmer in my thought process i know what my energy levels are i know my swimming ability i may feel comfortable to try and rescue myself and swim to shore that's fine if you think you're able. If not, just stay in that float to live position until help arrives. Okay, I'm gonna move on to another activity that's really popular around the coast, stand-up paddling. Um, it's really sort of sprung onto the scene in the last couple of years. Again, we really love people getting outside and using the water recreationally. Uh, what we're gonna do is give you the tips to help you stay safe. The main thing with stand-up paddle boards is to always wear a balance aid, have a means of communication. So principally that's your waterproof phone in your mo uh, waterproof phone or mobile phone in a waterproof pouch. And we say to keep that on you, okay? Because there's no point keeping it on the board because if you become separated from the board, it's useless. Okay, that needs to be on you. Never go alone. That's as one of our core principles because if you have a medical event, and you need to raise the call for help and you're for whatever reason incapacitated you're not going to be able to do it you're not going to be able to help yourself but someone in your group might be able to do it so that's why we say never go alone have the correct leash okay generally what we say is that if there's a risk of entanglement so if you're um using it in let's say a waterway that has a lot of pots or anchors or whatever, something like that, you'd want to use a coiled leash and maybe like a coiled leash that's attached to your chest so that you can release it easily if you have to. 
<clears throat> but definitely what you want to make sure is that you have the leash that attaches you to your board because your board then becomes a means of flotation. Again, check the weather and the tides. On our uh, website, arnli.org slash sup, uh, you can see a lot more information about this. But I'm going to give you an example here of these two young women. It's known in Ireland as the miracle in Galway Bay, and it really was a miracle. Um, it was a few summers ago now. Beautiful August day. Uh, these two young women set out for a paddleboard in Galway, and they survived 15 hours at sea after they were blown offshore on their paddleboards. Now, the things that they did right is that they were wearing buoyancy aids and they were wearing leashes. And ultimately, that's what saved their life uh, because they were able to use those to stay afloat. And they also stayed together. They actually were able to use their leashes to raft the boards together. And they famously sung Taylor Swift uh, songs uh, overnight at sea. And it was some really bad weather overnight. And Taylor Swift got to hear about it and, and wrote a letter to them uh, that she was so inspired by this story. Okay, so that was what they did right. What they did wrong was they didn't check the weather and they didn't check the tides before they set off. If they checked the weather, they would have realized there was an offshore wind blowing. So they're on the west coast of Galway. Uh, Killian was showing you earlier how to interpret weather forecasts. And an east wind, so it blows from the east, that means that it blows offshore on the west coast of Ireland. So an easterly wind will blow onshore winds, set up quite uncomfortable swimming conditions uh, on the east coast of Ireland. But uh, on the west coast, where it's blowing offshore, then the water will look really flat like it is here in this picture. But as you get further from the shore, that wind really increases. And the danger is that you can't paddle faster than what the wind is blowing you off the shore from. And that's what happened to girls. Uh, they also were wearing some really light summer clothing. Uh, they weren't wearing wetsuits because it, they weren't expecting to be at sea for a long time. But as I've said earlier, sometimes we need to plan for the worst case scenario rather than um, what we expect might happen. Kayaking, uh, again, lovely way to get on the water. Really popular around here, our coast is as well and Bundorn. Uh, similar principles apply. Have a buoyancy aid, have a means of communications, never go alone, check the weather and the tides. Another really important key information for swimming, canoeing uh, or paddle boarding is let someone know where you're going to, how long you're going to be, and then if you do get in trouble, uh, you've, uh, let's say, said that I'm going to be back at the house at four or five o'clock um, and that time comes and you haven't turned up, someone knows to alert the emergency services and they can direct us on a place to start from. So that's a really good feel safe way of, of keeping yourselves out of trouble. Uh, as we move into sailing and motorboating, we're going further offshore. The law in Ireland that every, ves is ve every vessel under seven meters, um, everyone has to be wearing a life jacket or buoyancy aid. And if you're under 16, you have to wear a life jacket or buoyancy aid, regardless of the size of the vessel. So the difference between the life jacket and buoyancy aid, life jacket is um, what you may see is those oral or automatically inflated uh, devices. They're generally a little bit more slimline than the buoyancy aid, and they're designed for non-immersion. So 
buoyancy is you would wear them whenever you're kayaking or paddleboarding because you're expecting to get wet all the time um the life jackets when you're on boats you're not expecting to be in the water unless in an emergency so they can be that blow up style where they're more compact and a bit more comfortable and you only activate them when you need to and um, because you're going further offshore and you may be out of range of mobile phones we'd like you to carry a vhf radio that's got a a much bigger range um, uh, you do need to be licensed and trained in how to use them but um the advantage about them is rather than calling one person, you'll call every ship uh, that's in the area or every boat that's in the area that's got a radio and listening to channel 16, the emergency channel, and also the Coast Guard. Um, and we have devices on board our lifeboats and emergency helicopters that we can track the radio signal. Um, it also talks about there the Safe Tracks app. That's an app that's on the Irish Sailing Association's website, and you can enter your trip details in there and whilst uh, it won't automatically uh, track you in the event of an emergency whenever you've um, gone past the time that you've entered in the app that you expect to be back at shore that then notifies your emergency contact if your emergency contact confirms that you're um, in a distress situation the coast guard can then access that information and uh, try and work out where you are based on the information in the app Important thing about a life jacket is know how to use it and know how to check that it's valid. Uh, and that's because it has uh, triggering mechanisms in there that uh, activate the, the CO2 cylinders. They can be automatic or passive, but you need to know how to use those and how to check that they're actually working um, before you set out, okay? There is some mechanical pieces involved in it. So it's not like a buoyancy aid where the buoyancy is there all the time. The life jacket does have some mechanical uh, components to it and you need to be able to know how to inspect those uh, to know if the jacket's fit for use or not. They're useless on less worn, okay? The really unfortunate accidents is that we attend is where we see that there's been life jackets on board vessels, um, but they're floating around. They're not on the people that have actually drowned, okay? If they're there, use them. We'll touch quickly on calling for help here. Killian mentioned it earlier. Um, don't be afraid to call for help because whether we're lifeboat crews or helicopters, uh, we want to be on the way to an accident. And the best news that we can hear across the radio is the person's rescued themselves. Oh, it was a false alarm. Stand down and we return to base. We consider that a win. Um, what we don't like to be is late to the party, okay? So that maybe someone's been in trouble for half an hour and nobody has called it in because they're going, I'm not really sure. I don't want to get the lifeboats out unnecessarily. I don't want to get the helicopter out. I don't want to get in trouble, okay? That isn't the decision that you have to make. If you think that you see somebody in trouble, call early, call 999 as soon as you can, because it takes a long time to launch the helicopters, to launch the lifeboats relatively, if somebody is, is drowning. Uh, it's not like Hollywood, um, things just don't appear out of the sky. Uh, there is a time lag involved. So the sooner that you make the call, the sooner the chances of a successful resolution to it. Do you need the cell signal to be four bars for you to be calling 999? No. 
If I, if you have a contract with Vodafone, let's say, and you have no service, um, still call 999 or 112 because the phone will look to see if it can find any other carrier signal to make that call. Indeed, you don't even need a SIM card in a phone uh, to call 999. Okay, they they automatically will look to see is there any carrier network that you can that they can use. Okay, we said about the uh, Safe Tracks app earlier. Some people talk about what three words to try and describe where they are. Um, don't rely on technology because remember with mobile phones the the data range is less than the voice range. So let's say particularly when you're at the coast or in the country, you know the the amount of places that you'll have data will be less or the range will be less than where you'll have voice. I'm sure everyone's experienced that, that they can't get on a certain website at the beach or whatever. Um, so always the best thing to do is know exactly where you are at because the most important thing that we need to know is where to get help to. Again, bit of a myth buster. It's not like Hollywood. We can't track your phones as soon as you come up on the screen. Yes, we do have little bits of software here and there that can do it, but that relies on uh, having a data connection to your phone and a lot of other variables. The best thing is if you can say with certainty where you are that day. So when it's okay to go explore into new places, but make sure in an emergency, you can describe your location to us really accurately. So here at uh, Bundoran, we have a really long beach, Tullin Strand. Okay, so that beach is about three miles long. So we'll need to know what end of the beach you're at. Now, if you know your cardinal points, you can say I'm at the north end or I'm at the south end. Um, but you might just uh, be able to say to us, well, I'm at an end of the beach uh, and I can see a certain landmark really close to me. That will help us identify it. Uh, in that intervening time, of while we are waiting for rescue resources to arrive on site. Uh, you can use a life ring or throw bag if available to rescue someone. Killian talked about it earlier. Never enter the water yourself. I used the example of the uh, poor fellas up in Derry where one tried to rescue his friend, but he ended up drowning as well. And statistically, that is what's most likely to happen. When people try and save other people themselves, they end up drowning as well because the person drowning, their actions become so desperate and so violent that they overpower that other person. Uh, and the, or if there's certain conditions like a rip or cold water, it, it ends up overpowering the both of them. Okay, the best thing that you can do to help someone if you see them in trouble is to call 999. And while you're waiting for emergency services to arrive, you can maybe talk to the person. Your voice can really reassure them and make a difference in that emergency situation. Calm them down, calm their breathing, tell them help is on its way. I've showed you how to float to live. Tell them to do that. That'll help uh, extend their life expectancy. Tell them to roll over onto their back, get their head back, ears wet, arms outstretched, make a star shape, um, and that'll all bide them some time. Again, if you see a life ring or a throw bag, you can throw that to them and, and pull them into the bank. Try and get help to get you to do that because it's quite hard with an average weights person. And never mind the fact that they're going to have wet clothes on and everything. Maybe there's like a stick lying around. 
uh, that you can reach out and like offer them to hold on to the stick and pull them in because most people drown relatively close to shore. Okay, the reason for that is whenever they fall into the water or go in the water, quite quickly they get overpowered. Um, so they haven't actually drifted that far away from the shore. So you can maybe just what we do call is like a reach and rescue. So you're merely like reaching out with a stick just to extend that meter or two to get to them and can help pull them on. You can tie two uh, coats together and use that to throw out to them and pull them back in. Maybe there's a football lying around. You can throw that to them and they can hold on to it. Even uh, a one and a half liter water bottle that's just uh, got a little bit of water in it that allows it to float. You can throw that to them. That can just buy them all a little bit of time. There's lots of little things that you can do that, to help save their life without entering the water and putting yourself in danger. But remember the power of your voice is amazing to, uh, to help just calm somebody down, let them know help's on the way. That can all increase the morale, keep them alive. So looking at these ring boys again, stand back from the edge one meter so that whenever you throw it in, you don't get uh, pulled in yourself. Use voice contact to get them to roll on their back. Rolling on their back means that they will uh, have their airway clear, but it's also easier to pull them in. Hold the end of the rope, throw the ring boy past the casualty, okay? Because if you throw it in front of them, remember they're drowning, they won't be able to swim to it. And then you can gradually pull it in. These, again, just a reinforcement of that. If you see someone in trouble, call 999 or 112 immediately. Use voice contact to reassure them, explain how to float, throw a ring boy to the casualty if there's one there, never enter the water. Um, when we go to the, the beaches, I talked about the easiest way to keep yourself safe is to know, go to a lifeguarded beach. And when you're at a lifeguarded beach, the way that we show what it where is safe and where it isn't is to have a flag system red and yellow flag between those flags is where the lifeguards deem safe to swim okay black and white checkered flag that'll be indicate an area for use by surfers kayakers or other non-power craft don't swim there because you got the risk of collision with uh, boards or canoes or stand-up paddle boards if it's red flag red for danger don't go in the water uh, if it's red flag conditions. Guys, um, I started this conversation by saying that in young people, drowning is one of the big leading causes of death, okay? If, if I was to tell you how many people died uh, in drowning in, in Ireland, and it depends, varies year to year, but it's around about the, uh, the 120 mark. If I was to say, that 120 people die every year um, and it's preventable. You'd want me to do something about it, okay? And that's what us as an organization do. We call it the drowning chain. And prior to us being in this space, drowning was considered not a priority. Uh, people were just not safe. Places were not safe. Uh, people can't be taught how to save themselves um, or won't save themselves. Um, um, that's the drowning chain and how it was normally viewed. What I've talked about today is the measures that we put in place to try and break that chain. And you're a really important part of that now because you know the skills to help save yourself, help save others, 
And most of all, you can teach those skills to someone else or you can use them in an emergency situation to save one, somebody's life. That's it from me, guys. Uh, you'll be pleased to know I've left 10 minutes at the end for uh, any questions. Um, so uh, I will hand it over to Fiona here uh, to tell me if we have anything in the chat that, uh, that I need to answer. We've no questions at the moment. Um, that was a very quick ending. So we'll give we'll give the teachers and the students some time to um, ask their questions, comment with their questions. Um, your the flags that you had there, um, Finn, the yep. three flags. They're only on manned beaches, are they? Yeah, yeah. So lifeguarding beaches. Uh, and remember, life garden does happen inland as well. Okay, it's done on a in, on Ireland. It's done on a county by county level. So you just need to go uh, to whatever county you're visiting or living in and find your nearest life guarded beach. Yeah. Now, uh, as Killian said, they're life guarded all the time in July and August uh, in the shoulder season, as they call it, June and September. Um, they're they're done at weekends. Now, there is sometimes uh, Murphy's Law that uh, September in Ireland tends to be good weather when everybody goes back to school. And there has been a move by some councils that whenever they see, like, for instance, last year in Donegal, uh, we had a really bad run of uh, events um, come September, first week of September, uh, the good weather brought everybody to the coast and they decided to extend the lifeguard uh, season until the, the good weather passed. Um, but, you know, your first point of call is your county council website and try and find out the lifeguarded beaches in your area. Um, Irish Water Safety, uh, they also administer lifeguards uh, training in Ireland and they've got a whole heap of information on there about how to stay safe at the beach also. But primarily, your, your first point of call is the County Council website that'll show you where your lifeguarded beaches are. And in Northern Ireland, if, if you're ever visiting there, the RNLI, we run the lifeguard service in Northern Ireland and England, Scotland and Wales. Uh, but again, it's done on a council level. So you can go into whatever appropriate council website there is or the RNLI's website and see wherever your local lifeguarded beach is. Um, a really good resource in Ireland is beaches.ie. Uh, if you go on there, you can type in the, the name of whatever beach you're going to and see as it come up there, and it'll give you a list of the facilities, but also uh, the tide times for the particular day and a link to the weather forecast for that particular beach um, from Met Erin. Okay. There's, there's a beach up the north side of Dublin, up around Scaries there where the tide goes really, really far out for quite a lot of the day, certain times of the year. And then it comes up really, really close to the to the edge as well, um, quite quickly. So when you were talking about the, you know, the tide changing, it is really, really important for, you no. Know, there's a beach in Saigo as well um, that we happened to go to a few years ago. And the, the water just came in really, really quick. Um, is there a difference like in in tides so that there's like a, a quick tide or coming back in 
where it takes really, really long time to go out, but it comes back really, really quick. Is there certain areas in Ireland that this is an occurrence or is this just something that happens everywhere? Okay, very, very quickly, because tides is a massive, massive subject and I'm having to do very light touch on all of this. But a frequent question I get asked at the beach is, is the tide coming in today? It's like, yeah, tide comes in every day. 365 days a year. In fact, it comes in twice a day. Okay, so generally on this on this island and for most of the world, we have what we call uh, semi-diurnal tides. Okay, so in a 24-hour cycle, there will be two high tides and two low tides, and those are generally six hours apart. So there'll be 12 hours from high tide to high tide, six hours from high tide to low tide. Okay, it's a little bit more than that but just take it uh, that it's about six hours, okay? And then the tide varies every day. So tomorrow, the tides are going to be totally different tide times and they're going to be totally different tidal levels, okay? So they might that the tide that comes in at high tide and they might that it falls to at low tide, okay? So day to day, it generally transitions by an hour. Okay, so for instance, high tide today in Bundoran is around three o'clock. So I know that the the next uh, high water will be around 3 a.m. Uh, in the next 12 hours. But in that next day, the next high water will be at 4 p.m. So the high tide is at 3 p.m. today and the high tide tomorrow is at around 4 p.m. Okay, so it varies by an hour each day. Now, we'll bring it back to what you were saying about the how far the tide comes up and the rate at which it does. Now, I said that the tide times vary every day. Also, the tide heights vary every day. And the reason for we have tides is because of the relationship between the sun, moon, and the earth, the gravitational pull that the sun and the moon exert on the earth's bodies of water, okay? Principally the moon, okay? The, the sun does have an effect, but it's principally the moon. Now we know that our moon has a lunar cycle. For anyone that's into their astrology, don't worry, I'm not gonna go there about why we all go a bit crazy on full moons and new moons. But in a full moon and new moon scenario, which happens every two weeks, the gravitational effect of the moon is greater. So we know that in those periods we'll have bigger tides. And what we call those are spring tides. Some parts of the world call them king tides. And you might hear someone, you know, like in Australia, for instance, they'll say, oh yeah, it's a king tide, mate. Um, we call them spring tides. And that means that we have a higher high tide and a lower low tide. So for instance, you said there's pl sometimes places where the water comes up really, really high. That will be because it's during the spring period, okay? So, right, let's say, for instance, we're on to springs now. That will generally last for about a week. And then next week, whenever the moon's uh, waning, as they say, um, we'll have what we call neap tides, which means that we have a slightly less high tide, so it won't come up as far, uh, but our low tide will be slightly greater, okay? So the, the actual tidal range is smaller, so we have a, a smaller high tide and a lesser low tide um, as opposed to spring tides where we've got a really high tide and 
you know, a really low tide. Um, now, obviously, in spring tides, that speed at which it can come in and out because the tidal range is greater uh, will be stronger. And that's generally where we see a lot of people get caught out, okay, in those spring tides. So the main message is that the tides vary every single day. That's why you've got to check them every single day. And that's why you've got to know quite a lot about the tides before you make uh, an informed decision. Most people can't make that informed decision. So that's why I always say go to a lifeguarded beach or maybe, you know, go to somewhere where you're doing activities that are instructed or under supervision or you're taking advice from a surf shop or an outdoor education provider. Now remember, tides only apply at the coast, um, but water levels inland can vary also with our weather. So if you're swimming at a river or a lake, be aware that whenever it's hit periods of high rainfall, that's going to increase flow on the river. That's going to give more water potentially at the lake. So it might be deeper than what you expected. Uh, equally, whenever we're under periods of good weather, um, there might be less water because of evaporation. So when you're running into that pier and off that pier and expecting to land in you know, loads of deep water, it might not be. So always check your depth before you go in. Um, that goes for the sea or uh, inland. Guys, that's brought me to close to 12 o'clock there. I hope I haven't blinded you all with science uh, as we depart. Um, please be safe around the coast, but enjoy it. You know, that's our message. Everyone that's involved in lifeboating loves the sea, loves the rivers, loves the lakes. Um, the ways that we show you is how to do it safely. If you go on our website, uh, rnli.org slash safety, all those tips that I've given you are all there. Thank you so much. Super, Finn. Thank you so much. And tell Killian, uh, well, we'll tell Killian later that thanks so much for the first hour. No, I'll tell Killian nothing. I'll take all the credit. <laughs> You'll find out about it eventually. Um, everything that we you discussed there today will be up on the description as well, links and everything. Um, and teachers can contact uh, their local RNLI through um, to come to the school to do some talks, just not certain times of the year. Um, and hopefully we can do some more webinars and, and uh, in the future and get the message out there to everybody. So just be safe around the water. It is coming to that better time of the year. Um, Hopefully we'll have a lovely April, May, June, July and August uh, and September compared to last year. It uh, would be fantastic. So enjoy the weather, enjoy the water and uh, stay safe. Thanks a million. Thank you, guys.